This is Outlandish Outcasts at outlandishoutcasts.com. Welcome to Outlandish Outcasts. I'm your host, Al. With me, as always, my favorite person in the world, Desi. How you doing tonight, Desi? straight I'm your favorite person Of course you are. Who else would be? I could name a few other people. Because I know I could be also the same person that is not your favorite person as well sometimes. Yes, yes. And I always love my children as well, but sometimes they're not my favorite either. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on the day of the week. Yeah. The kids tend to think that I have a favorite. So I told them you guys are right. Izzy's my favorite. Yes, the dog. Even though she gets on my nerves too. She always gets on my nerves because she's always at my feet. Yeah. In the kitchen. She's at my feet. I'm in the bathroom. She's at my feet. Like, really... I like how every night I go to bed and about 15 minutes later she comes running in the bedroom with her toy, throwing it up in the air like it's time to play. It's time to play with me. You guys have ignored me all day. No. No, I haven't ignored you all day. Uh, You're at my feet constantly. So I've accidentally kicked you about three times. And I snuggle with you when I'm sitting on the couch all the time. If we ever go back to not working at home and actually having to go somewhere all day long, she's she is going to go depressed. crazy cuz she hasn't had she hasn't been alone in the house for 9 Almost months. a year. Yeah, it's crazy. She won't know what to do with herself. No, she won't. She'll, she'll that think or we she'll left be her. throwing parties. That could be. She'll be like, "Oh, thank God, it's about time." <laughs> I've been waiting for these people to leave forever. They just won't go. <laughs> I'm at her feet because I'm trying to push her out the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's not in here, amazingly. She probably will be, be before the recording. She's probably though. getting her her me time. Yeah. Anyway, I think you are first today. Yeah, yeah. Yay. Rock, paper, scissors. Shoot. <laughs> I lost. Yeah. Okay, so my first story is Tales from the Sleeping Prophet. So, Edgar Casey. Okay. Never heard of this before. So, you've heard of clairvoyance. Yes. Okay. So, few clairvoyants enjoy the uh, renown of Edgar Casey. He was from eight, born 1877, and he died in 1945. So, okay. still within the last hundred years. Yeah. So, uh, Americans sleep prophet is what they called him a sleeping prophet sleeping prophet okay so during his lifetime um he gave more than 14,000 documented readings to a wide range of people including celebrities like houdini uh thomas edison woodrow wilson hmm. marilyn monroe so he in my mind probably was extremely well known back in the day oh, especially like if mean, he's getting higher up yeah, people like that sounds like he's got some connections for sure so um he earned his most famous um name because he propounded the ability to fall asleep atop books awake with full retention of the facts and illustrations recorded within them really Later, the skill transformed into the ability to diagnose and recommend treatments for illness while in a trance-like sleeping state. Um, <laughs> he had no formal medical training either. So, um, of course, this remains 
controversial. Oh, yeah. I mean, anything like this is mm-hmm. very controversial because there's no way to prove it. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories surrounding his early life prove sensational and hard to believe. I mean, this that would be hard to believe. The beginning of it, when you're talking about how he learned by falling asleep on, on top of books... I had a, a teacher in high school that used to say, I'm going to hit you with this book and you're going to learn by osmosis. <laughs> kind of <laughs> reminded me of that. <laughs> and it collided. Oh. So, uh, just so we know, I know osmosis is not a collision of something. No. I just had to say it. So, um, stories surrounding his early life prove sensational and hard to believe. I mean, mm-hmm. that would be hard to believe. Definitely. Yet, they provide the fundamental elements for his fascinating turn-of-the-century American figures um, rise to fame. So, kind of when I was going through this, he and his dad studied for a spelling test when he was young, 12 years old. Um, He took the test and he bombed it, more or less. Mm Mm-hmm. So he went home, and his dad, I mean, back in the day, you beat your kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he said at some point um, he had seen an, a woman with wings, a winged woman, okay. and she told him to take a nap. So he asked his dad in the middle of this, if he could just, he pleaded with him to take mm-hmm. a nap, more or less. <laughs> if I was the parent, I would have been pissed off yeah. if my kid would have said, I, I need to take a nap. These voices are telling me to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so after pleading his dad for the quick nap, he placed his head on the spelling book and snoozed. When his fa- father woke him up, he had full recollection of the volume tucked beneath his head. His father was stunned to find his son had every page of the book memorized. So mm. this is when it all started. Yeah. Because apparently this winged lady had told him she only can help him if he takes a nap. If he takes a nap. Huh. That's Maybe that's why I take so many naps. I'm learning. Not really. <laughs> I could teach you things. <laughs> when I'm sleeping? Probably could <laughs> stand over and beat you with the yeah, book. This is true. Show you what a, a, a osmosis is. I can't <laughs> even say it. <laughs> osmosis. Okay. So because of that, he repeated the process with other school books. Um, his teacher pronounced him the best student in class when she questioned him about how he turned around his school grades. He mentioned sleeping on top of the books or a top book. <laughs> Each time he did this, he woke with full recollection of their contents. So it makes me wonder if he had a photographic memory something or like something. That. Could be. Or maybe Could he be. really was clairvoyant because be. there's no way to prove no, of course not. this or disprove it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might have been a, you know, a, a, an interesting origin story that he came up with. Who knows? That, too. <laughs> you know. that ran through my head, too, and he just kept up with it. Yep. But how at that age do you come up with something like this and continue the shenanigans no idea um so over time his ability absorbed books during slumber um was eclipsed by another talent 
his ability to provide people with full medical diagnosis in his sleep. Um, so he was like in a translucent type mm-hmm. sleep. Um, after getting hit in the spine with a ball during a school game, he acted strangely. His parents put him to bed. And to their astonishment, he began talking in his sleep, diagnosing his condition and describing how to cure it. After following their sleeping son's instructions, uh, he received healing. Hmm. So that's a little odd. Yeah. Um, during his lifetime, he gave more than the 14,000 readings. Um, there are hundreds of people throughout the United States who will testify at the drop of a hat to his accuracy of his diagnosis and efficiency to suggestions for treatment, whether the testimonies amount to much more um, than anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. remaining up for debate still. Um, besides his um, sleep-talking medical diagnosis, he also had fascinating prophecies. Um, some appear to have proven accurate. Others remain up for interpretation. Okay. Um, predictions foretelling the stock market crash of 1929 in two separate occasions, the first in February of 1925 and then six months before the event of March of 1929. Okay. Uh, in 1935, he predicted how World War World War II would unfold. Um, other strange foretellings from the sleeping prophet include the use of blood as a diagnostic tool, the discovery of La Nina and El Nino effects, hmm. and um, communication companies, um, the convergence of communication companies in a cooperative and structured manner. He also spoke at length about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the two people who created them, the Essence. Hmm. I've never heard of those before. I've I've heard of them, but I don't know enough to speak to it. And it, it says two years after his death, they found the scrolls. Mm-hmm. So he predicted it prior. He discussed the lost city of Atlantis, predicting its rediscovery near Bimini in 1968 or 1969. In 1968, archaeologists discovered an underwater rock formation off the coast of... I'm going to end up saying this wrong. (laughs) Bohemian Island of North Bimini. There's too many vowels. Mm -hmm. Uh, The formation sits 18 foot below the surface. And then some hypothesis, it makes the submerged city's entrance other not so much they think it's more of a natural occurrence of what they found down there so that's still up for debate um (coughs) but if he really was clairvoyant i would go that's probably atlantis yeah i mean if he's clairvoyant you know i'm you obviously know i'm a huge skeptic when it comes to things like this but i'm not saying it can't happen and i like stories like this but it drives me nuts when they take place you know, maybe we should go get some long, long enough ago that there's there's not a lot of physical evidence behind it. That's the only thing I don't like about the about situations like this. Like when somebody's like this today, you can at least look at tons of video footage and stuff like that. You're not going to have that with this because most, I mean, uh, there was. See if they have earbuds in. in yeah, things like that. You know. Or 
but very interesting. And I mean, a lot of people through time have claimed to be clairvoyant, and some of them. And, and I like that. Oh, there's always a something behind it like this guy had to sleep or be kind of in a trance like but i think it's kind of weird i mean maybe it, it wasn't true but if there were things happening even no, after yeah. his death it's like nostradamus i was just going to mention nostradamus he had to be um on nutmeg he would get hallucinate off of eating too much nutmeg and that's when he would make his predictions and he i always found that really interesting in the most relaxed yeah state. you get to get to that, <laughs> uh, that, that that other that other plane of existence and <laughs> you know it's funny because most people, even like psychologists, mm-hmm. Sigmund Freud, mm-hmm. addicted to L- LC- LCD. LS- LSD. <laughs> yes. My gosh. Yes. Well, yeah. right now, a big thing going on right now for a lot of uh, mental therapy is ketamine treatments, which is just another form of a hallucinogenic and helping it kind of relax you. And it's, they're treating PTSD with it a lot now. Yeah. So, yeah. Something that you know is still being studied to this day and used in some places as a as a treatment for, for all kinds of stuff. For sure, for sure. Cool, cool. So, but that was my first story. I well, thought that was, it was a lot cooler cool. than my first story. Well, that's probably <laughs> a good thing I started then. <laughs> so now you can bring us down, Alan. I'm not bringing us down. I'm going to talk about a scientific study. Ooh, I love science. Using rats. That's not <laughs> uncommon. No, obviously it's not. Maybe nowadays it is. It is extremely common to use rats for, for scientific studies. Um, the University of Richmond, Virginia, wanted to uh, research and see if there was an effect, what effect an environment had on a rat. So <laughs> if it lives with okay. other people and lives in a nice area and has a nice hou- housing kind of oh area. Oh, does it make them more or less stressed out? Does it, you know, things like that. Are they more stressed out in nice areas because they don't have? We'll get there. We'll okay. get there. They decided to do this test by, you know, a lot of times they'll put a rat in a maze and see if the rat can make it to the maze and things yep. like that. They went a little different on this one. Okay. They decided they were going to teach the rats to drive. What? Yeah. Like. Ralph the rat, or Ralph? Ralph was a mouse. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you a video. There'll be a video oh we'll posted in the link on the website, and this is just kind of it. Just kind of shows what uh, mice can drive. What exactly they're teaching this rat? Um, now the car, the is the chassis and powertrain came from a robot kit car, and the and a transparent plastic food container was the body. Uh, the idea is the steering wheel and pedals were too difficult, so the controls were three copper wires stretched across an opening, cut out in front of the bodywork, and an aluminum plate on the floor. So when the rat stands on the plate and grips a bar, a circuit was completed and the motor's engaged. Uh, one bar makes the car turn left, the other makes the car turn right, and a third make, makes it go straight ahead. Huh. Now. So it's like a current going through the rat's yeah, body exactly. on top of it. Exactly. Now, it didn't take long for the rats to learn how to drive. Um, it was conducted in a closed-off uh, arena. Uh, the goal was to drive over that to a food. That arena looked like it would have caused the rat stress because yeah. it kept <laughs> driving into yeah. the walls. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the goal was for the rat to drive over to a food, to a treat, and, and retrieve a treat when it got to a certain spot. Well, of course. That's how you get the rat to mm-hmm. continue to figure out what it needs yeah. to do. They did uh, three five-minute sessions a week for eight weeks, 
and that was uh, sufficient enough for the rats to kind of learn how to do it. Uh, the placement of the treat and the starting position of the car were, you know, different every time. So the rats, you know, didn't just memorize, I'm just going to go this way. I have to, you know, figure out where to go and how to go there. Um, so my guess now, knowing it's that, I'm going to assume the rat is less stressed out well, in a bigger house. And that, that is true. But anyway... Um, the subjects. We had 11 male rats, five of, uh, five of whom lived together in a large cage with multiple surfaces and objects to play with. Six of them lived in pairs in standatory lab rat cages. Okay. Um, both groups of rats did learn to drive the car, but the ones that didn't live in a cage were better at it quicker and would seem and would do it without the treat. Makes sense to me. They would do it almost for enjoyment. They're, <laughs> they're not really as stressed out as a cage rat would be stressed mm -hmm. out. I'm it. The, <laughs> the it just makes sense to me. The researchers also did my favorite part. You know, best job in the world: collecting rat droppings and analyzing them. <laughs> and they're analyzing Why? them for uh, a couple of hormones that happen to show up in the feces if. Okay if a rat is stressed out. They, they, they detect stress through this. Uh, and it showed through this that the rats who lived in the cage and weren't as productive at driving the car were also much more stressed out than the rats who that had a better life and seemed to learn to drive the car a lot quicker. So I thought that was really cool seeing a rat. Like The video is what caught my eye with this story, and I'm like, oh my god, it's just a rat driving a little... <laughs> like car <laughs> that's Makes crazy sense to me and you know they taught them how to do it and the, like i said the rats who weren't as stressed out seemed to really enjoy it and would do it even without uh without a treat something to do yeah yeah so like hey that looks fun i'm always intrigued by studies on rats and how there's so many s things they do with rats like I, I like studies like this no i like studies like kidding. this not the studies where they inject them with a bunch of stuff for <laughs> that but <laughs> studies like this where you get them to run through a maze or you get them to drive a car that's pretty cool that's crazy. Yeah. That's just crazy. So my next story is actually about a baboon. A baboon? So it's a dead baboon. Okay. It's been dead for 3,300 years. Holy cow. Ba it's a well, skull. Well, holy baboon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they found a skull, and it may tell uh, of mysterious ancient kingdom. Okay. So... We're talking we're Planet of the Apes here? We're going back to ancient Egyptian times. Okay. So this is something I I had no clue about Egypt. When I think of an animal in Egypt, I think cat. Yeah. Because cats were very Definitely. worshipped. Uh, so legends tell of a magical faraway land where uh, travelers could obtain wondrous products, inclu including gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yep. And then I'm like... Where are we going with this now? <laughs> uh, the land of P Punt, or God's Land, as the Egyptians occasionally dubbed it, um, served as the setting for what has been described as the oldest known fantasy story. Okay. So um, archaeologists are convinced Punt really existed, and now they may have their hands on the first known Puntite treasure. 
Okay. Uh, 3,300-year-old baboon skull. Holy cow. So the Egyptians first began to travel to Punt and 4, 000, or about 4,500 years ago and continued to do so for more than 1,000 years, according to um, the hieroglyphics, written mm-hmm. records that they do have or that they came across. But um, those records in the artwork list the products that Egyptians brought back were resins, metals, hardwoods, and exotic animals. Hmm. Um, And archaeologists have found little hard evidence of these goods. So this is like the first first time we've seen hard evidence. Something other than it being written somewhere, actual physical evidence. Yes. Cool. Um, The remains, they belong to a Hamadryas baboon. I'm probably saying that so wrong. No idea. Um discovered by the 19th century archaeologist in an ancient Egypt city of Thebes. Uh, the Egyptians revered the baboon as an embodiment of Throt, I'm probably saying that wrong, a god of wisdom, and also connected to the primates with Amun-Ra, the sun god. Um, hmm. But the primates are not native to Egypt, as we know this. Yeah, no. Um, so they actually did a study on the baboon's teeth. Apparently they, like on any animal, Mm -hmm. can go into the tooth and like do research for the soils and stuff like that because within the first year of like living and stuff like that no matter what you eat Mm -hmm. and all this stuff it's in there for good Mm -hmm. it ain't leaving and even if you are any type of animal and they ship you to the san diego zoo they can still go back into your teeth and see where you're native from oh that's cool so they they found that this baboon it came from um do do do! I can't think of it, and I can't find it. East Africa, the Arabian Peninsula, um, and Northwest Somalia. So okay. it was somewhere within or modern day Eritrea, Ethiopia. Okay. So that's where they're like this animal came from. Okay. This area. Yeah. So, um, hmm. if the baboon came to Egypt and lived there and odds are it did. Yeah. Um it wasn't originated from there. So hmm. I th- just thought that's that was cool. crazy. That's I've never heard of a baboon. No, that and I, mean I used to be into Egyptian history and stuff like that. Yeah, you definitely don't hear of any baboons in uh in history or even, you know, even in you know, back when I did a lot of religious studies and you talk a lot about Egypt, you don't hear about anything like that there either. No, and it, maybe it was because this God's land um, that they talked about, they couldn't prove it was actually a place. <coughs> mm-hmm. um, they assumed by, I think it was a map, they assumed that this upriver, up the sea, more or less, mm-hmm. there was a port and they were assuming that was God's land or Punt, but they 
just never really proved it but this whole baboon thing is kind of it's within that region of where they think the baboon came from so yeah. they think that this is making mm-hmm. that connection and it's now the hard evidence to go hey we've got proof now yeah got so. a, got a piece of evidence got a piece of proof let's dig some more and see what we can find so i thought that was kind of cool and hopefully we'll hear more because this just came out on the 15th so cool. we should be hearing more of it. I'll probably be watching for it just mm-hmm. because. That so. will be cool. So that was my my animal story. Cool. My second story is I, I read things like this all the time because I am very entertained by lawsuits. Always have been. But really, yeah, I've I never. I find I find weird lawsuits to be very interesting. Well, I think anyone finds weird lawsuits to be interesting. A lot of times you find a lot of weird ones here in the U.S. This one's not from here. This one is a lawsuit uh, from Israel. Okay. A woman in Tel Aviv. Um, She decided to sue Danny Rupp. Okay. Danny Rupp was a weather forecaster in Tel Aviv. She sued him for $1,000 because Rupp had predicted on television that the day would be sunny. And it turned out to be rainy and stormy. And it ruined her day. The woman listened to up forecast and decided she could leave home dressed lightly. And it turned out to be very inappropriate as the day turned nasty. Because she was out in inclement weather, weather she claimed she caught the flu, missed four days of work, and spent $38 on medication. Oh my gosh. Um... She says that she not only wants to have financial compensation for the suffering and sickness she endured, but wants Rupp to apologize for getting the forecast wrong that day. Now, that just sounds <laughs> crazy and insane. When well, you, when yeah, you, when you it, because right? then why would you continue to give forecasts on the weather? It gets better. Oh, my God. Is this the, because there was no disclaimer? The TV she station, the TV station, because they didn't want a legal battle. They settled the case for a thousand dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> how, this it's got to be the worst thousand dollars this TV station's ever spent. Because let me tell oh. you, how many times could you be sued again in the future? <laughs> and it just sets a precedent, and it's like, <laughs> oh my god, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I'm gonna go sue every single TV station for five hundred dollars. I'm gonna put it at such a low amount that it's like it's cheaper to pay it than it is to get a lawyer. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. This this lawsuit was um, from 2012. There has not been another one since in Israel. There have been a couple in Belgium. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But nothing in Israel. I just thought it blew my mind to, like, to sue the weatherman because he got the weather wrong. Weathermen get the weather wrong every day, constantly. Uh-huh. You know, unless you are a weatherman in San Diego, California, where it's 78 and sunny, six months out of the year you're gonna get stuff wrong <laughs> that's crazy oh my gosh yeah d- really short story i know but i came across it and i was like that's, that's a really crazy short crazy story crazy 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 and then oh and, and the uh the tv station did force the weatherman to make the formal apology as well so. oh my god that I w- if my boss made me apologize for that uh I would have been like, I'm finding a new job. I mean, uh, you better. You're not working for the smartest boss. They're paying somebody $1,000 because you got the weather wrong. That's not a very smart business decision. <laughs> That's horrible. Horrible. Speak of our fan. Izzy just came in the room. <laughs> I know. I was and like, left. wow. 
So, my last story is I'm going to say this wrong totally. Sunk Burchardi. It reminds me of Burchardi, but so okay. off. Church organ. So, a former um, convent for nuns, the 14th century church is home to one of one amazing musical instrument. Um, the automatic organ tucked away in the church is in the process of playing John Cage's as slow as possible a piece of music that will last for 639 years if played continuously. Holy cow. One song. One song. How do you write a song like that? Is, is that not impossible? Uh, it sounded like reading through this that the song itself was an extremely long song. Okay. But you know how sometimes of the song they have those measures where there's really no yeah. music at the beginning? Mm -hmm. Well, for the first three years, I think it was, there was no music playing from the organ because of that. <laughs> um, so this started September of 2001. First note wasn't heard until February of 2003. Holy so, cow. Uh, individual chords last for several months. Or years. Wow. Yep. And, and the beat doesn't go. Da, 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 da. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming it, it doesn't. Anyways. I'm sure not. I'm sure not. That was a joke. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, what? I, I, that just bl I, I can't fathom. I mean, you're, we're talking about a piece of music that no human can ever enjoy from start to finish. Well, I mean, if you play it somewhere else. I guess, yeah. But apparently this was a piece written back in 1985. And it just, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of crazy. That's just weird. I don't know. So That's weird. That's really but weird. there's constant maintenance on the organ to make sure it continues. I'm like, are they trying to hit the Guinness Book of World Records? And Maybe. if that's the goal... Is mankind still going to be around? <laughs> We're going to be around. And it. if they're not, what if there are aliens because we have, like, killed ourselves off and they come down to Earth and that is still playing? Mm. What would yeah. you think? I like, why is this thing playing? Is it alive? <laughs> like, hmm. yeah, a bunch of stuff was going through my head. Yeah. Like, in 600 years, is mankind going to still be here? Yeah, maybe. Have probably. We killed ourselves off. Maybe. <laughs> like, Nukes will go off, and the last thing left will be an organ playing a song. We'll have the 100 going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. My last story. I had to do some research when I came across this story. Because it sounds research? like something I might have done, or you might have done. It sounds like a story we would have done. So you had to do research. So I had to like listen to our own show <laughs> and make sure. Oh my God, you gave us we a didn't false do this. listen. Yes, I gave us one false listen on a bunch of episodes around Christmas last year. Oh, that's funny. Because it is a Christmas theme story. Okay. And I know I bring up stuff like this a lot, the history of things or history of that. You've talked about different history of things around oh Christmas yeah. and stuff like that. But I found the story of how 
leaving Santa cookies and milk for Christmas. I found it very interesting. And I was worried we covered it, but went through and we hadn't covered this. I didn't so remember anything no. about the history of milk and cookies. So, you know, as you know, it's customary lot for a lot of people to leave out milk and cookies for Santa Claus. I thought it was before. supposed to be beef and cheese. Uh, it, it's It's been many things in many countries at many times. Funny. I but was joking about the beef <laughs> and cheese. <laughs> um, there are a few places where it kind of comes from, but not all one place. It, 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 there's a few different spots in history where they've done similar things. Okay. But in, this, in the U.S., the milk and cookies leaving for Santa started in the 30s. Okay. And it was parents trying to teach their children, especially during the Depression, that if you are receiving presents from somebody, you need to give them something too. You know, you, you need Aww, to, to learn to give exchange. instead of receive. It's not about just receiving, yes. it's also about giving. Yes. So in this country, that's where the milk and cookies started, Aww. leaving that out for Santa. So it was like, he's going to bring us stuff, we got to give him something type thing. See? Hard, hard times can bring good things out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are roots that go all the way back into Norse mythology. Uh, what? Odin, Norse? Odin, the most important Norse god, uh, was said to have an eight-legged horse named Slamper. He, uh, this must have been a really fast horse or a very clumsy horse. He rode with a raven perched on each shoulder, and during the Yule season... Children will leave food out for the horse in hopes that Odin would stop by on his travels and leave gifts in return. <gasps> Is that where the eight reindeer came from? It's possible. Uh, such tradition today continues in countries such as Denmark and Belgium, where children today still believe that horses carry Santa's sleigh instead of reindeer. So they are in Belgium and Denmark. They are taught as children that it's horses, not huh. reindeer, that carry Santa's sleigh. That's kind of cool. Uh, on Christmas Eve, they leave out carrots and hay, and sometimes stuffed into shoes to feed the exhausted animals. Yeah. Um, over the years, different countries have developed their own versions of the cookies and milk, of course. Uh, British and Australian children leave out sherry and mince pies. Oh, heck yeah. Well, I don't know about the mince pies, but the sherry? Heck yeah. Swedish children leave out rice porridge. Rice porridge. Is that um, with the sugar and blueberries? <laughs> in Ireland, just kidding. Santa can expect a pint of Guinness along with his cookies when he's delivering Should I his. change that up? <laughs> <laughs> French children leave out a glass of wine for Pierre Noel. Ooh. And they also fill their shoes with hay and carrots for the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> the donkey? I guess there's a donkey in France. Oh. Um, in Germany, the children kip skip, blah, blah, skip the snacks altogether and leave handwritten letters. Um, this is a symbolic representation of the Christmas spirit, who is, or to Christ kind, who is a symbolic representation of the Christmas spirit, who is responsible for bringing presents on Christmas. Huh. Uh, many German kids mail their letters before the holiday. There are six official addresses for letters to be sent uh, in Germany. Is one of them in Alaska? I have no idea. I have no idea. Or are they all in Germany? They're probably all in Germany, this being German, a German thing. So I thought, I, I'm always very intrigued on how things like this started. And when I when I came across the story, it started with the whole cookies and milk thing, you know. And then you start reading about the other countries and how different things are there and what traditions there are. Just well, that's where I'm the always very intrigued culture shock like comes from. Well, because yeah. Because if you were to move there and you're like, 
everybody's looking at us weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and and it's not weird to you. That's your normal. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, and it's not just stuff like that. It's anything. Mm-hmm. And holidays, especially like Christmas or this time of year, have different traditions all over the world. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've I was definitely shocked when I read about um in Netherlands. For Christmas, they have black peat, where it is customary that everybody dress up in blackface. What? And, like, because to represent this guy named Black Pete, who would deliver presents. (laughs) And he was kind of intrigued by that. Like, I I don't know a lot about it, but I I know in the last couple of years, they've started not doing it as much, you know, for political correctness reasons. But it, it was definitely a big thing, and, and but still it makes is. you wonder though the story behind it. Yeah, I'm. I don't. I've heard the story told, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. So I'll have to go th- check, th- it out check it out. Just because that, wow. Mm-hmm. So you know, who knows what kind of traditions we'll be having for you know holidays a hundred years from now or wherever, you know, all over the world. It's kind of interesting to think of how things change like that by the day or two. It could, yeah. Nope. Not going there. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna leave it. Leave it there. Just leave it there. And if totally. You, ha- if you'd like to tell us about your traditions for your holiday uh, in your home or your family, you can send us an email to outlandishoutcasts at gmail dot com. Otherwise, you can come to Facebook at outlandish po- outlandish outcast podcast, and definitely like our page. Share away. And leave a comment. You can find us on Twitter at Outlandish Casts. Follow us there for sure. <laughs> or go to Instagram at Outlandish Outcast Podcast. Love our post and follow us. Or leave a rating or review in whatever application or website you are using to listen to this show right now. Yes. We're almost at Christmas. One week away. One week away. If One week in a day. Our next episode will release on Christmas Eve. I've been thinking we should just skip. We might skip. I don't Christmas know if Eve. we will. We, we'll, we'll see. We haven't missed an episode in 86 weeks. Taking one week off wouldn't kill us for the holidays. And a lot of people take, a lot of podcasts take time off for the holidays and numbers are down. And so we'll see. We'll see. If we're not here next week, we'll be here for New Year's. Yes. I, I love we could totally bring in the new year. No, we can't. No. We release on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. But. Darn. There went that thought. We will have a new episode for people to listen to on New Year's Eve. For sure. On New Year's Eve. Yes. Yes. Ooh, maybe the end of it, we can do the countdown. No? No, because people will probably listen to it on Monday. <laughs> they go back to work. And we release at 6.30 in the morning on New Year's Eve. That's going to be a long episode <laughs> if we're doing the countdown. <laughs> Never mind. (laughs) Have a a good week, everybody. Bye.